Well, hello and welcome to the Free Mind Podcast. Today we have a special midweek episode where we're going to be discussing critical race theory with Dr. Neil Shinvey. And um, we're actually just coming off of this past weekend, our first part of the forum we did, the Zoom forum we did for uh, race in the church, and where we talked about critical theory, which is a, you know, kind of a broader topic than critical race theory, but very, uh, very connected in ideology. But I would just uh, highly encourage you if, you, if you get a chance, go check out our YouTube page for Free Mind Podcast, because uh, Neil used some really helpful visuals on that. Um, so take a look at that if you get a chance. going to provide a lot of good background material for this discussion, uh, as well as just I wanted to invite you guys to this coming weekend, this Sunday, we will be discussing social justice, the modern social justice movement with uh, Samuel Say. And we're going to continue this forum, this online Zoom. So we're inviting people to join us. It's going to be from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern time. For I don't know how many Sundays we're going to do this, but for now we're going to keep it going until we feel like it's, you know, we've covered the topic well. And so definitely for the next several weeks. So 6 to 8 Eastern, um, you can sign up through any of our uh, like Instagram, Facebook, just go at FreeMindFM for Instagram. I think Facebook is uh, FreeMindPodcast at FreeMindPodcast. Uh, you can sign up there. We'll send you a Zoom link and you can invite friends. And uh, I think the advantage of getting on there is, of course, hearing it live, but also getting to ask on the spot questions to our our speakers. So I think it's a it's a valuable time, especially with this topic and everything that we're dealing with right now in this country and in our church on race. So I just wanted to let you guys know about that. And before we jump into this conversation with Neil, I just want to remind you of Impact 360, their gap year program. Uh, an incredible program if you're looking for coming out of high school or you have uh, people you know that are coming out of high school gives them a year of experience in leadership training background in apologetics and worldview prepares them to go take the next step go to college after that and uh, you know just with a Christian worldview because pretty much I, I joke about this a lot but much of our universities these days are just um, indoctrination factories unfortunately and they're not indoctrinating them in helpful and uh, wholesome worldview training unfortunately uh, just the opposite in many cases but you know I think the gap year program at impact 360 is so helpful and they get college credit for it so go to impact 360 we'll link that in the show notes as we normally do and check out their gap year program so uh, here we are with Neil Shinvey, recorded a couple months ago, but very relevant. Um, hope you guys enjoy this. If you have any questions, please feel free to write us. And again, I'd love to invite you out to our online Zoom forum on this discussion next weekend. And we'll see you soon. We really appreciate you coming back on here to talk about this subject. Just so if you're coming into this fresh today, there, we're going to um, assume a lot of background information um, that you might want to go back and check out. Uh, previously, uh, we did two episodes with Neil, probably about, I think it's been over a year now, um, on critical theory, 
we get and actually one of those episodes are still to this day our our most downloaded episode ever at Freemind. Oh, cool! And so, if you want to go back and check that out, uh, you can get to those web those episodes on the website or in iTunes wherever you listen to. It's called I think the first one was called Social Justice Critical Theory that kind of thing. You'll find it. Type in Neil's name on there. But we're also going to link to his website. He has a ton of articles uh, about the subject of critical theory as well as a, a lot of uh, book reviews in the area. But today, we'll give a really, really, really brief uh, sketch of what critical theory is, but more we're going to dive in. Uh, maybe a more narrow discipline that I guess you could think of it as a, a sub-discipline of critical theory called critical race theory. So, um, But yeah, check those out when you get the chance. But Neil, um, let's just jump right into this, man. So talking about um, critical theory, will, will you just give us a real, real quick sketch of what is critical theory? And then maybe you could say, tell us what critical race theory is, and are there any distinctions between the two? Sure. So critical theory is this really broad area of knowledge that originated more or less with Karl Marx, and not his economic ideas, but his ideas about how power operates to produce social inequality. So why are there poor people and rich people? And he was sort of one of the first people to think about how structures and systems can produce social inequalities between the haves and the have-nots. Now, of course, Marx interpreted that in economic terms, but after Marx, people in the what's called the Frankfurt School coined the term critical theory when they took Marx's ideas and, and broadened them to apply to other subjects beyond economics and, to, and apply them, again, more broadly to other, other areas of life, like culture and mass media, how they influence uh, power and how, how they produce inequality and, and domination. But that was, and that was in the 20s and 30s, uh, really in Germany and the U.S. later. People like uh, Adorno, Marcuse, and Horkheimer. That was 100 a, a years ago, right? So that was the beginnings of critical theory, but it's evolved tremendously since then. So nowadays, critical theory encompasses entire fields like queer theory, critical pedagogy, critical race theory, gender studies, these would all be considered part of the critical tradition, broadly speaking. Uh, so as you, you heard there, I mentioned the critical race theory is part of that tradition. Well, why? Well, critical theory is concerned with understanding how power operates to produce inequality, often in uh, veiled ways. So you can't see how power is working to produce inequality, but if you unearth these structures and show how these ideas produce inequality, that allows you then to transform society to produce more equity and more equality. So all these fields are concerned with unearthing what's called hegemonic power. So the way in which dominant oppressor groups have has produced ideas that justify their own social position. So, so for example, here's a good example from feminism. Feminists would say that the patriarchy is the system of male dominance that, should, that, that is used to justify why men are in control of so much in our society, and which then tells women why they are less valuable and why they don't deserve to have the power the power in society. And that's a way that in which, again, that's uh, so, so feminism, second wave feminism, would, would be a critical theory in that sense. Critical race theory would be the discipline that <sighs> studies how racism and white supremacy are built into our structures and systems to produce a stratification where white people are at the top, and then you have a hierarchy where other groups, racial groups, are at the bottom. So that that is that very briefly, 
uh, is what critical race theory is and how it relates to critical theory in, in general. Would it, would it be proper then to say critical race theory is, is kind of like a particular application of critical theory, but just to the issue of race? So it is, but it's complicated. So critical race theory emerged out of critical legal studies, which was a way that they viewing laws through the lens of hegemonic power. So I'll, we'll get this later, but the history yeah. is that critical legal studies that came out of the 60s, and then critical race theory was um, a bunch of legal scholars uh, applied that reasoning to race in particular. So it really flows more from the legal profession. And that was, again, that was in the 70s and 80s. Today, okay. you have more than just legal scholars writing about critical race theory. You have sociologists, historians, um, African-American studies professors, psychologists, sociologists. So they're all writing in this field. And it's, unfortunately, it's, 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 it's very nebulous. So we'll get into this in a little bit. But yeah. All of these fields, sure. critical theory, critical race theory, critical pedagogy, it's they're very amorphous. It's hard to define them. And so if you look, people will say, well, here's the, the core tenets of critical race theory. And you'll have like, here's one person saying there are four. Here's one person saying there are seven. Here's one person saying there are six. Here's one person saying here are various themes that, that most critical race theorists subscribe to, but not all. And so it's really hard to pin down. The, the best analogy I could come up with would be something like feminism. You know, who defines what a feminist is? What do feminists believe? And you can generally say, well, feminists are concerned with the equality between men and women, broadly, right? But within yeah. that very broad, nebulous definition, there's a ton of diversity. And if you people argue really rapidly about what re, who is really a feminist, so it's like that only in an academic sense. Yeah, and and that's it. Seems to me that's a issue with any philosophical topic. I was I was joking with someone the other day how, you know, you open a philosophy book and the first ten chapters out of twenty will be trying to find a proper definition of anything, because yeah. that you know, and I've, and I've noticed this in some of your debates I've been following over the past few months is, you know people that are interacting with you um, on the other side of the issue will typically want to spend a lot of time critiquing your definitions of critical theory or critical race theory, whatever it is. And um, is it is it a fool's errand to try to define any, like how do, how do we, you know, with, with anything like this, and we could talk about, you know, Calvinists or Arminianists, like, or, you know, evangelicals to try to define people's thoughts is this just a problem that's going to hit any subject is there any hope of of trying to have rational dialogue and trying to define these broad movements that do have so much nuance i guess would be one question and does critical theory and postmodernism even lend itself to even a more difficult problem in, than the general problem of defining movements Ooh, yeah that that second part of the question is really important because we're, we'll see in a second that um, one of the things I see a ton within critical theory and the social justice scholarship is that they will redefine familiar, common, everyday terms in unusual ways. And that, and unfortunately, that will be used as leverage or as, as it's, they'll, they'll equivocate in order to gain leverage over people. So, for example, here's that one I just saw today. If I asked you, hey, Seth, are you in favor of equality or not? Right. What's the right answer to that question? The right answer of to the course, question is, yeah. well, can you please right. define what does equality? That mean? Yeah, exactly. Well, but if, and if you don't do that, if you don't, if you're not, you didn't, you didn't, what's going on is they want you to say yes, 
And then they can say, good, because we would hate for you to be a bigoted, you know, terrible, awful person who, <laughs> who, you know, who denies marriage equality. Now you're stuck. Now you're going to be, oh, you can either say, actually, I didn't mean that by equality. I meant equality of persons, equality of value. I didn't mean equality of, you know, heterosexual and same-sex marriage being equal. They're not. But you either have to go back and say, actually, I'm against equality. Oh, wait, you're against equality now. Oh, my gosh, you are a bigot. So that what happens a lot with these terms that get redefined to mean new things. And unless you know what's going on, you could fall into that trap of say of affirming something that is basically rhetorical strategy. So that's a, an aspect of, of social justice scholarship that we have to be very careful with. Um, more generally, you say, well, is it possible to define these fields succinctly? And the answer is, well, I mean, no, you have, I can show you critical theorists themselves arguing about what the field is. So, I, you know, I can say, I can do my best. I can, I can quote primary sources saying these things. This is what critical race theory is. Here you go. Here are four authors saying it's these things and you can get a sense of what it is. But what I find more troubling is that, well, not troubling, the more important question is, are certain ideas true? I don't care yeah. what you call the ideas. You can call them something else entirely. But are they true and are they biblical? And if you want to call them something else, you want to call them not critical theory, but cultural Marxism. I want to call them social justice scholarship. I want to call them grievance studies. I want to call them neo-Marxism. Whatever you want to call them, it's fine. But are they true or are they false? That's the question. And so I don't mind people saying, well, I, I'm not comfortable using the term critical theory. That's fine with me. Use a different term. But I do mind if people refuse to address the ideas. I want to yeah. get past the semantics and talk about the ideas because whatever you call them, these ideas, I'm gonna, I, I would argue, are deeply false and very dangerous. No, that's good. And and I have noticed that you do that. You go to the primary sources and you deal with individual authors that, you know, or typical things that come up with the cluster of authors that are behind the ideology, or at least that people look to as, um, you know, kind of the architects of these ideas. And, but, I, but I also know on the other hand, people that are a little more sloppy or they don't do as much detailed work. I do sometimes see people you know, they hear little buzzwords and then they slap the label on them and then dismiss them out of hand because uh, they, they basically lay the whole theory on them when that person might not even hold to that theory. Um, so, so a couple questions I have in this area that, that, I, that I wanted to ask you. One is when you do find a, a person in, in, the, in the body of Christ that has influence that subscribes, let's say, full-blown critical theory as you describe it. And I'm thinking here of someone like Jen Hatmaker, who I know you've mentioned before, because as I've looked into her stuff, as far as I can tell, I think she pretty much hits all the, the, the core issues that you talk about when you describe critical theory. Yeah. When Christians, I, I've noticed, you know, she has a new podcast now where she's interviewing a lot of evangelical leaders. They some they seem to often give her kind of the right hand of fellowship, even though they kind of wink and nod that we, you know, we have some disagreements, but we come to the table together as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So let, just first, I want to say when someone has adopted full fledged critical theory. Do you think that that puts them in a position where you would say, man, it's tough to tough to see them as a Christian in the historic sense? And if it is like that, w would it be a mistake for us to, to kind of partner with those people in a way that gives the impression that you can take uh, 
full-blown critical theory on as a Christian, sort of like you can be a Baptist, you can be a Pentecostal, but it's all under the heading of historic Christianity. We can agree to disagree. Sure. I mean, one thing, and this is going to get into strategy and prudence, but I agree that it is, I've seen people who just lump anyone who uses the phrase social justice. Oh, you must be a critical theorist. You're a, you know, and that, no, no, you can't just, the words themselves aren't poison. The words aren't themselves, they're not tainted. You know, what do they mean by that? The question, the, the, the key is the ideas. Yeah. Ask them when you hear a phrase like social justice or white privilege or white fragility or any of these other words, okay, they could. We could prick up your ears and say, well, wait a minute, that's actually kind of a, that's a, a kind of dangerous concept there. Could you, what do you mean by that? Okay, well, let them explain themselves. And so that's important. You don't want to, you want to be charitable and you want to give them a chance to actually say things. But I would, here's the key. This is people say, well, how do you, how can you tell whether it's critical theory or not? I get that a lot. Is this critical theory? Is this critical theory? And <laughs> here's the answer. The answer I give is, if you can't tell whether it's critical theory one, it's probably not, because it's, it, okay, and I'll tell you why in a second. One, it's probably not, and two, assume it's not for the sake of charity, the sake of charity. But here's the thing. The reason I say that is because if someone does adopt full-blown critical theory, full-blown, like no caveats, no attempt to modify it to fit into a biblical worldview, if they do, they would have to deny, deny so many other biblical things, there'd be no hiding it. In other words, you would have to, if you affirm critical theory, as I've described it, as you've laid out on my, in my articles, you would have to be completely LGBTQ affirming in the most, you'd have to affirm that gender is a social construct. You have to affirm that, um, you'd have to basically say that evangelism is, is colonialism is wicked, that, that all religions are equally, you know, expression. You couldn't, you couldn't say that Christianity is the one truth that we should go out and evangelize people. I, I can give you quotes from, uh, from Adams teaching for diversity and social justice, where she talks about how these benighted Christians who think that their religion is right is so anti, you know, so anti-social justice. You you can't you can't embrace that. You can't you can't say that Christianity is just one of many truths that are beautiful and part of this wonderful mosaic and be a Christian. No, Jesus is the way. And so the point is this: you, uh, someone who's advancing full-blown critical theory. It will show not in the phrases that they use. It won't show up there. It will show up primarily in their wild heterodoxy. In other words, you don't have to have studied critical theory. When someone says Jesus is one of many ways to God, you're not like, is that critical theory? You're like, that's just, that's heresy. <laughs> I don't know where right. it comes from, but it's certainly, you know, heresy. So in the same way, take Jen Hatmaker. Even if you knew nothing about where her ideas are coming from, you had no idea what critical theory was. You didn't know whether she'd ever read any of the authors but you heard her teaching on LGBTQ issues, you can immediately say that's unbiblical, period. So my advice is, and this should be obvious, appeal to scripture. When someone says something that is flatly unbiblical, then it doesn't matter where it comes from. It is unbiblical. That's your standard. If someone uses the word white privilege, you might begin to say to yourself, huh, what do they mean by that? But if they just say something like, vague, like, I believe in white privilege, you can't assume that they're buying into, you have no idea what they mean. So I'll I'll argue later that evangelicals should stop using this language. I'm going to argue that. But what I'm saying is until they do, just let the Bible determine what you recognize as false. That's it. It's very simple. Yeah, no, that's good. And, you know, sometimes even for me, as I've, you know, taken a dive into the subject over the last year or so, 
if anything, it's what it does for me is it gives you that coherent ideology that's driving these seemingly disconnected ideas. It's like, man, yes. why did they move to pro LGBTQ um, affirming positions, and then all of a sudden they're um, arguing for this um, certain version of the patriarchy being wrong? And the, you know, what are those connections? And I think the critical, the understanding of critical theory kind of gives you that ideology behind it and it also helps you see someone that might be going down that road right to to make them aware of hey if if you go down this path there's a lion at the end he's going to eat you <laughs> um and you, d does it does it help in that sense of kind of giving someone a warning hey do you realize you're kind of buying into the system here and you may be you may want to be aware of what it is the full-fledged version that's exactly right. So I think uh, the mo the people that I am most concerned about in the evangelical community, I, I wouldn't say that they've bought, they, they haven't followed their beliefs to their logical implications. They haven't. They have. They're inconsistent. Uh, but right. but what I would say is I, I am watching in real time their theology change. I, they're heading down that path. So what I would say is that many of the people that I, I you know, I, I've read their books and I'm, I'm following them, I mean, I would, I would still regard them as Christians, Right. But, but they're on a dangerous path. And so I don't think we have to say, you know, you buy into critical theory, you're not a Christian. Uh, I think the vast majority of evangelicals who are espousing these ideas would still adhere to, again, basic evangelical doctrine, but it's slipping. That's my concern. And, they, and many times they don't necessarily even realize what they're signing on to. Um, like I said, I think last time, these ideas are sort of in the water culturally and you can imbibe them for years without really realizing where they come from, what they really mean. And I think it's happening. I, I, I'm trying to be charitable here. I mean, I guess conceivably they know exactly what they're doing. So, but I think charitably, they haven't really thought through the implications of these beliefs. And, and oftentimes, unfortunately, it's because a lot of people on both sides, by the way, they refuse to engage in dialogue. They, they are in their echo chamber. They, they know their people, their followers. They get support. They get likes and retweets. And they refuse to listen or countenance the other side's arguments. And because of that, they're never forced to really grapple with these inconsistencies. Again, that's for both sides. And, th and the same with getting people on the, you know, on the right side of this issue, the right wing side, I think sometimes have a very naive view of racism or, or, it's, or it's existence, it's, it's severity. And it... it, it I think they're doing themselves a disservice by not taking these critiques seriously, by ignoring them and saying, oh, you're just a bunch of cultural Marxists. Well, you're never going to really be able to test your claims versus the reality and scripture if you're just shutting out other voices. Yeah, no, that's good. And it leads me into my next question, which... Uh, I know there was a lot of controversy surrounding the the Southern Baptist Convention this year, especially with regard to I guess it was a uh, solution number nine dealing with critical race theory and yeah. you know the ability to utilize the tools without bringing in the whole worldview. They seemingly categorically rejected the worldview while saying the tools could still be used um, pos positively and maybe within the framework of the Bible in the sense that we might use. Um, you know, Aristotle's definition of the law of non-contradiction, even though it sure. came from a pagan, it fits in the biblical worldview. Um, what are your thoughts on that resolution and maybe in, in general the use of some of these tools for us as, as biblical Christians? 
Yeah, it's so funny because I think when I saw the resolution, I, I supported it then. I support it now. I don't think it's perfect. I think there are things I would change in the resolution. I think um, Tom Askell offered an amendment to it that I thought should have been passed. I think it would have been helpful because the resolution as it's currently written and was accepted, it defines critical race theory as a set of analytic tools. But then elsewhere it says it's a framework. And so it's kind of it's it's so it's it's kind of inconsistent there. It's like, well, is it a set of tools? Is it a framework? Is it a lens? Is it a worldview? So it'd be better to say that it includes tools, but it's embedded within a worldview, right? And so it's a bit. It's like you take a uh, the laws of logic, or, or maybe a, I, mean, I think I a good example. Yeah, take a better example would be a, be a geometry, right? Geometry as practiced by Pythagoras and his followers was embedded with a pagan religious framework. Really, they, they, they sort of, it was part of their religion. But we certainly take the tools of geometry and we just use them. So does that mean that geometry, that say Neo-Pythagoreanism, I don't know what it was called, but that, that religion, was it, was it a set of tools? Well, no, it was way more than that. But can we use the tools? Well, sure, right? So in the same way, we should, we should have acknowledged that, that these, these tools are coming from a very dangerous worldview. They're, they're embedded in it. And yet the ideas themselves are not somehow tainted. Like, you know, uh, and I give examples of how we can use these these tools, I think, fruitfully. And the key here is that the the resolution, I, I wasn't on the committee, I wasn't even at the convention, so I didn't have any say in the, the wording. But they were clearly trying to make this distinction. I mean, they, they say things, they were very, they were very um, tentative in any kind of affirmation of critical race theory. They say, yeah, you know, some... Evangelical scholars have employed selective insights from critical race theory to understand like, social dynamics. Um, but then they go on to say, you know, as a worldview, we repudiate it. It should only be employed as analytical tools, subordinate to scripture. You know, the first, last, and sufficient authority of the church is scripture. So they, they're really trying to thread the needle in terms of, yes, there are some good things, but there are lots of bad things. Be very careful. So I think they were trying to do what, what I do in my talks. Um but here, so you asked about what's the solution then? How do we, how do we adopt or not adopt? How do we make use of these tools, which can be useful, without adopting the worldview? And there's a very simple answer that I suggestion here: drop the jargon. Drop the jargon. And I'll give you an example. Let me let me let me read you some a sentence here. I actually wrote this today. It's funny. So here's a sentence: White supremacy manifests in the normalization of Eurocentric musical forms within white church spaces. <laughs> now I, I I wrote that okay, but but it uses all this jargon: white supremacy, Eurocentric, uh, white church, white spaces. These are all drawn. You can find them all over the the CRT literature. Okay, but what did I actually say? Now I I said that. Now here's the thing: if a critical race theorist said that, it might mean something that's very troubling. Okay, but what does the average evangelical probably mean when they say probably mean when they say that? They mean this. Don't confuse Christian rock with worship. Yeah, that's that's all. They're, all they're saying. If you read the actual <laughs> sentence, it's it's using all this jargon. But they might just be saying, "Hey guys, we play a lot of you know uh, Matt Redman during worship service, and it's kind of weirding people out who are not you know white middle class soccer moms." Okay, maybe you have a diverse congregation with with you know I I was at a church in Germany that had a huge proportion of African immigrants in Germany. It was in Munich, right? And now, interestingly, the, the church that we were in was an international church, and they played mostly, you know, it was, all, it was an English church, and they played mostly, you know, like popular Christian contemporary worship music. But 
I think it would have been it would been totally fine for them to say, "Hey guys, like half of our worshippers are from Africa." And again, it's an English service, but can we get some other music that would just maybe appeal more to our congregants? That's great. That's wonderful. That's that's great commission thinking. You're thinking about how can we reach our community and edify the body. But if you couch it in these terms that are that are suffused with critical race theory, people are going to freak out. And and what's more is oftentimes these terms themselves are defined in very troubling ways. You maybe didn't even you don't even know that maybe. But for example, white privilege, if you look at how it's defined by Peggy McIntosh, it includes all kinds of ideas that are actually very bad. So my suggestion is drop the jargon. And when I have translated the ideas of critical race theory, the good ones, when I translated those into plain English, very conservative people are like, well, of course, of course, right? Here's another one. Churches need to recognize the intersectional marginalization of single working class mothers. Now, what did I just say? I just said, well, working class single mothers face obstacles that rich single mothers, rich single women, or poor married mothers don't face, right? We should have a ministry, maybe, for poor single working class mothers that's not met by, say, our singles ministry or our mom's group. Maybe these uh, these women have special needs. You're like, oh, of course, that's a great idea because, yeah, sure, a single mom trying to raise her kids while working full-time who's on welfare is not going to fit into, like, maybe our singles ministry, right? Because it's basically a big dating group. I mean, I hope it's not, but whatever. But <laughs> you can see why that idea is is just common sense. And yet that is, you know, if I couch that statement in intersectional language, it would still be true, but it would obscure the truth. So my suggestion is, if you have some insight that you've gained from reading critical theorists, that's fine. Just rephrase it in plain English. You won't have all of this uh, associated uh, worry and anxiety about these terms. And also, you won't fall into the dangers associated with these terms, because there often are embedded truth claims that you may not even realize. No, that's that's um, that's really good, and I think that's that's charitable. I do think um, one of the que- one of the responses I've heard back to that, maybe in, even in some of your conversations, has been, yeah, but some of those some of those insights don't require critical race theory at all. They're kind of commonsensical, um, and even you know, there's a there's a section here on postmodernism that J.P. Moreland was writing about in Keenum Triangle that I thought kind of related. He said. Should Christians utilize postmodern insights from time to time as they find helpful? He said, I don't believe they should, and to see why, consider Nazi ideology. Surely some aspects of Nazi thought, for example, a commitment to a strong national defense and to solid education for youth are correct and appropriate, but for two reasons it would be wrong to say that one was neutral or even favorable toward Nazi thought, rejecting its problems and embracing its advantages. Uh, because Nazi thought is so horrible that its overall impact is so harmful that its bad features far outweigh whatever relatively trivial advantages it offers. Thus, such an attitude is inappropriate toward Nazi thought. Second, neither of the advantages cited require Nazi re- require Nazi ideology for its justification. And he applies this basically to postmodernism during the time when the emergent church was kind of on the scene trying to draw insights from that. Do you think that that kind of statement has any relevancy for this topic or do you think it's different 
No, I think it's very relevant. So I think that I'll steal, man, the argument. I get that argument a lot that, well, this this ideology is so poisonous that we dare not in any way get insight from it. And what I would say, and we don't need to anyway. And I'd say, well, sh- of course you don't, because it's part of whatever truth it contains is part of general revelation. So we can arrive at these ideas hey, uh, without Neil, appealing. Can you yeah. hear me? Yes. Sorry, I lost you. I lost you right at the beginning of that statement for a second. My sure. computer froze. Can you just start that over again? Yeah. Hold on sure. one second. Hold on one second. Um, man, check, check, check one, two. Check, check, check one, two. Okay, go ahead. Right. So I think that's a very fair criticism, and I get that a lot. So people would say this ideology is so virulent and bad that we dare not incorporate any insights from it because we're somehow endorsing the ideology itself, which is poisonous. And I think that's fair. So, for example, I could say, do we want to gain insights from queer theory, right? Oh, but there's some truth that gathered. Well, sure, but the ideology is so bad and wrong, we wouldn't want to sort of tell Christians to glean insights from queer theory. But that said, I'd say, uh, sure, and I, I, I agree. And in some sense, all of these truths can be derived from general revelation anyway. You can always look at reality as God shows it to us and figure out things like single moms are different than singles versus married moms. Okay, sure. My, my only suggestion is that's why we should just detach these ideas that are true from the ideology, right? If you, if you happen to be reading D'Angelo and think she has some great idea, she's a critical race theorist. She has some great idea you've never thought of before. Well, that's part of God's revelation. It doesn't mean critical race theory is deeply true. It just means she has a true idea. So use it. Translate it. Uh, out of the language of critical race theory and employ it. Um, I, and I, I do think the analogy that I use, I think and this is a fair assessment of this argument, is imagine you have a, a handful of 99 pieces of poison and one Skittle. You don't hand that to your son and say, there's a Skittle in here, buddy. Go to town. You, no, that, that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's horribly inappropriate because the danger so outweighs the, the small benefits. And I, again, I, 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 le- I recognize the legitimacy of that argument. I'm not saying Christians need to employ critical race theory, critical theory, queer theory, anything. Uh, I'm just saying that I don't want to take any true insight that has any relationship to critical race theory. That has any, It sounds a little bit like something I once read in the book. Don't throw that out just because it has the aroma of critical theory. Give it a chance. Ask what, Here's a question. Is it true or false? If it's true, it doesn't matter where it came from. If it's false, it doesn't matter where it came from. It's false. So that's the only thing. So I, you know, I don't I don't go around telling people they need to study critical theory. They don't need to. And I agree the truths we get from critical race theory, critical pedagogy, queer theory, if there are truths there, we can get them other ways. Granted. Um, I'm just and I'll, but I'll, here's a and here's a danger. Here's a, here's one point on my side. I think people don't appreciate enough. Because these terms are so fluid, because these disciplines are so nebulous, it allows people to play both sides. So here's the thing. Let's say you reject, I say, I reject critical race theory as deeply unbiblical. They can come back and say, well, look, actually, critical race theory is just these very mild and common sense claims about race in the U.S. That's all it is. It's very, it's very, very common sense. So they can take, because there's so many definitions out there, they can pick the most benign, mild, common sense definition and say, that's all we mean by it. And then later they go back and use the most radical ideas from the most radical form of it. 
So the the breadth of the discipline allows them to play both sides and to equivocate on what they need. It'd be like saying, you know, I believe gender is a social construct. You say, wait, what? You say, no, no, no. All I mean is that the color pink is not feminine and the color blue is not masculine inherently in God's eyes. That's a social construct. You say, oh, okay, that seems reasonable. And then behind closed doors, they can say, actually, it's all a social construct. So because these ideas are open to interpretation, because they're so broad, what we should do if we're, if we're prudent, we should say exactly what is false about them. If you're vague, people can actually use that against you and say, you're an ignoramus. You don't know what it really is. And they can quote, again, the most mild form of it and say, that's all it is. And people say, oh, he's not educated. He doesn't understand these ideas, really. If you were more nuanced and said, actually, there are some parts that are pretty mild in common sense, but there are other parts that are extremely dangerous, that is actually more effective at, because yeah. it forces people to defend the bad parts. You, can, you, can, you can't be accused of being naive. You can, say, you can actually show that you've studied these authors yourselves and can say exactly what is wrong with them. No, I, th- I think that's really helpful. And um, so, yeah, maybe maybe it would be useful at this time to kind of jump into what uh, CRT or critical race theory is. And I don't know if the best way to do it is maybe jump into this article as he raises some questions about that. Would that be a, a good uh, approach to take or would you rather just kind of say what yeah. it is? And so, yeah, there's an article in Faithfully Magazine written by a guy as Cartagena. I'm not sure to pronounce his name Um but he, he basically says that well, so the thesis of the article was that critic that Christians or evangelicals who either condemn or commend critical race theory don't define it carefully. That was his thesis. And we have to define this field carefully. And I'm I was sort of quoted. The weird thing is I got pulled into this article because he cites me and my co-author Pat Sawyer as proponents uh, as proponents of critical race theory. And he says right. that he says. <laughs> He says, uh, Neil Shenvey and Pat Sawyer, listing us as proponents of critical race theory. He says, Neil Shenvey and Pat Sawyer suggest that there are areas in which Christians should agree with critical, and he inserts the word race, theory. And he cites our article in the Gospel Coalition. The weird part is that article is on critical theory, not critical race theory. They're different. But he puts the word race into that quote because we mentioned race in the next sentence, and he assumes that somehow the article, and he says, we're not defining it carefully enough and talking about how the truth of these ideas relate to the discipline. So actually, I emailed him in person. He's a very gracious, very gentle, nice guy. And I said, hey, that article was not about critical race theory. It was about critical theory, the broad discipline, not the, su- the subfield. And he said, oh, I apologize. He actually apologized to me and said, I didn't, I didn't check your website. I didn't know that you'd, you'd actually written more on critical race theory. And, and so so he, he admitted that he'd made a sort of, he'd been a little bit confused on on. Again, so it gets complicated, but the bottom line is that he, he was very gracious, and very kind, and I do want to affirm that I agree with him. I think that, as I've argued in this interview, we should be very precise in our in our denunciation or our combination of critical race theory and critical theory. But I'm approaching it from the opposite perspective as him. So he wants to commend it, and I'm saying to in order to repudiate it effectively, we should be precise because then we can't be accused of being naive. Um, so he, and here's the thing, he wants to, he doesn't, yeah, he does actually, I would say, commend critical race theory in this article. And he says, if you understood what it actually is, then you would see it's not so crazy. But here's the problem. In the article, he says, he says, well, okay, granted, critical race theory is a very nebulous field. He writes um, that 
even academic circles spread ambiguity about CRT. So he's now saying that not only do Christian evangelicals get CRT wrong and they're confused about what it is, not specific, says even academics don't, they spread ambiguity about CRT. He says this pervasive fluid use of the term CRT has led scholars to misidentify CRT. So now, wait a minute, wait a minute here. Now he's saying that, okay, evangelicals are confused about CRT. They don't define it carefully. But even these well-known scholars don't understand it properly or, or define it weirdly or nebulously. I'm like, oh, wait a minute here. Maybe the problem is not in evangelicals or these scholars. Maybe the problem is the term is not well-defined. Maybe that's the issue here. So, And the funny thing is, after saying that, then he goes to cite just one single author, Kimberly Crenshaw, and she says he draws heavily on her thoughts in everything that follows. So the weird thing is he, he affirms, and I agree with him, there are tons of different definitions of critical race theory. There are lots of them. And he then, then he chastises evangelicals for not, not defining it carefully, but then admits that there are lots of definitions, and he picks one and not all of them. So I just think that's a little confusing to me. You should say, granted, this is a very nebulous term, Here's the definition I personally use, even though many scholars who are critical race theorists themselves disagree with me. That that seems more a better way to approach this issue. Yeah, um, okay. I, yeah, I agree. You getting me there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I agree. There were a couple things like that that struck me in the article. Exactly what you said. The the fact that he, you know talked about the difficulty of defining it, but then chided people for not defining it. But um, also, I think it was, was it five things or seven things he said were the outcome of yeah. critical race theory? And one of them was interesting to me, and maybe we'll get when we when we do get to your kind of rough definition of it or however you want to define it. Um, he talked about, you know, the fact that we are perspectival knowers. Yes. Um, but then he, he, he said that as though it were an objective claim about reality that he could sure. know. But then on the same hand, he, he wanted to reject what he called the orthodoxy, that you can objectively know things and that we're not perspectival. And it, was, it seemed to be the same trap that postmodernism in general falls into. But, it, but it, was, it was almost like he was trying to set up this situation where we had to sort of give what he called epistemic Gnosticism or, or um, the, the epistemic uh, priority to the person who found themselves on the lower end of the binary. And was that, was that co- sort of that setup of, you know, that leads to Bulverism that you talk about? Was that one of those epistemological uh, uh, outcomes of critical theory in general that people typically will, will draw on? It is. And I, you know, I was, that's the thing. He, he defines critical race theory, but then he portrays it as if it's totally fine. Like if you really understood what critical race theory is saying, it's completely common sense and fine. And I'm like, no, actually that whole idea of knowledge being perspectival, while it is true that yes, we are socially located. In other words, we come from a certain culture, a certain background, a certain class, certain, you know, that's all true. And we can know truth objectively, not all truth, not perfectly, we're all as fallible, but we do know certain truths. And, and more than that, you have to appeal to not to um, not to lived experience, but to evidence and reason. And the funny thing is, in, in, in some of the things he quoted, there are hints from Crenshaw, he didn't quote her very extensively in her own words, but when he summarized her, he made it sound kind of like common sense, but if you actually read the book that he quotes, so I actually have a review of that very book on my website. 
the authors like Crenshaw herself and the authors that she she anthologizes is other authors in their book. They say these radical things about how we really have to defer to people with lived experience. So if you look at, you know, I have a whole review of that book on my website and I point out that, yeah, the, the things being said by the authors that she cites and by Crenshaw herself are very troubling. And he, here's their example. He, uh, in the whole essay, he talks about how anti-racism is a very good thing. He says, you know, critical race theory is a movement, he says, aimed at providing an anti-racist understanding of the relationships between race and law. Now, I agree with that. But he's positive about anti-racism. So he writes, like, for example, he says, most of my life I have lacked an anti-racist vocabulary. Those harming me had a racist one. Most of my life I couldn't diagnose my racialized wounds. Those harming me inflicted those wounds with precision. So he's saying critical race theory gave me the language, the anti-racist language to use to understand my lived experience. Well, here's the problem. He doesn't talk about what anti-racism means. That's another very nebulous term. It can mean a lot of different things. But I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I don't know how he understands that word. I don't know. But for example, the mo- one of the most prominent anti-racists in the U.S. right now is Imbram X. Kendi, who wrote the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. I reviewed that book on my website. And he says things like this, um, to, be tr- to truly be anti-racist is to be feminist. To be feminist is to be anti-racist. Or we cannot be anti-racist if we are homophobic or transphobic. To be queer anti-racist is to understand the privileges of my cisgender, of my masculinity, of my heterosexuality, of their intersections. That's page 197. The, now, I'm not saying that, uh, that uh, was it, uh, his name now. Um, I'm not saying that he defines anti-racism the way that Kendi does. But I'm pointing out that in a article talking about how we need precision to throw out words like anti-racism as if they're just obviously good and obviously unproblematic and obviously a part of biblical justice is very imprecise. Because in reality, critical race theorists themselves would agree with Kendi. So let me go back up to actually here's a I, I have an article on my website entitled What is Critical Race Theory? And um, multiple of authors say that critical race theory includes opposition to homophobia, transgender oppression, sexism, etc. So here's um, an article written by uh, Harper, Patton, and Wooden. They write, CRT critiques claims that one can fight racism without paying attention to sexism, homophobia, economic exploitation, and other forms of oppression or injustice. So again, all so that's their definition of critical race theory includes that as one of its core tenets. My, my only point here is that in an article where he's arguing for more precision, he shouldn't, one, assume that his definition of, uh, or Crenshaw's definition of CRT is the only one out there, or two, that words like anti-racism are just obviously unproblematic. I think they can be very problematic depending on how you define them. So anyway, all, all that to say is that I, I think he's a very gracious guy. I appreciate him emailing back and forth a bit, but I would... I, I think people need to talk more. So, for example, I, I don't think that people in these two camps of evangelicals right now are talking at all. And I really would encourage that because I think that people, again, on the right, the right wing side who are opposed to social justice, they probably could benefit from people pointing out racism in society, the ways in which we have normalized um, essentially white culture. You know, you're, oh, you're, oh, 
everybody loves, you know, a, a Matt Redman. Everybody loves Chris Tomlin. Well, no, they don't, you know, and, and we shouldn't assume they do. And, and the other side, we have people that haven't really recognized how dangerous these ideas actually are and how they really can lead you down a very dangerous path. We need to get those two groups talking and in good faith. And I think, again, we're, we don't have that right now. Have you had any success in having some of those dialogues with some folks on that side recently? No. <laughs> okay. Um, is is the blockade is the blockades sometimes because that ideology almost entails non-reason or a, a walk away from kind of what we would think of as objective rationality, so they don't want dialogue? Or what do you find to be, I guess, the the the, the reason why? I mean, I'm not going to speculate. I'm just going to say that I have really tried to have dialogues. Um, I, there's actually a major evangelical apologetics ministry that invited me to do a debate on critical race theory and was looking for people who would do it with me, like, you know, to, to be my opponent and in a friendly debate. But so far, it was, a, I think, a month or two ago, even, they've been, I mean, they've been, okay, the coronavirus thing threw everything into a, you know, a tizzy, but but they've been having a hard time finding people willing to actually get up there and defend these ideas. Um, and I, I don't know why, but I'm just saying it's, it has been hard. Mm. Well, it, you can correct me on this too. Just hearing what you're saying about critical race theory, although it might've started as kind of this legal thing or, or kind of emerged out of that context, it sounds like it's getting swallowed back up by the larger critical theory, um, I guess, organism, or like it's getting pulled into that. Um, and adding all those other elements on it, would that be right? Am I understanding that correctly? Well, they've all been, they've all been, been part of it. And critical race theory emerged out of critical legal studies, which emerged out of these ideas of hegemony. Oh, okay. And, uh, so they kind of wash back and forth. Yeah, they yeah, kind of go mean, like flow back into each other, depart at some points, flow back into each other. Is that kind of? Yeah, they're, they're related. I mean, so you, you, if you look at the core tenets of critical race theory, you can very clear. I mean, Crenshaw herself said, well, I should pull up the quote. Crenshaw, in her book, that book that, that um, it was cited, she writes, critical scholars derive their vision of legal ideology from the work of Antonio Gramsci, an Italian neo-Marxist theorist. So this, it's just very obvious. She cites Foucault in her, in her work, Mapping the Margins. So it's not hidden. She, she's explicitly citing critical theorists of the past and saying this, this critical race theory is rooted in this ideology. It's not, it's not up, for, up for debate. Um, gotcha. Yeah. But what makes it maybe distinct then is the legal element. Is that, is that part of what makes it distinct? Well, not anymore. So again, critical legal studies was all about legal scholarship and the early critical race theorists, like De- Derek Bell was an early critical race theorist, maybe the first one. Kimberly Crenshaw is another big one. Uh, uh, people like um, uh, Delgado, um, Seven Chick, and a bunch of other names, they're all legal scholars. But since then, the early 80s and uh, the early 80s, basically, late 70s, early 80s, since then, it's become much more mainstream, has been picked up by non-legal scholars. Okay. Um, so now it's not, it's not a legal discipline anymore at all. Gotcha. Now, so critical race theory at this time used, like, do, do you even have a, a working definition of it? Is that even possible? Or do you just have, like, do you kind of usually just give quotes from some of the authors? How would you pull it together? If I had to, if you look at my website again, I so I just cite like four different critical race theorists who who give like the the core tenets of critical race theory, and again some give four, some give seven, some give six. But if you look at them and read them, you're like, yeah, these are all very similar. So I think this would be a fair definition. 
critical race theory is the discipline or the field of knowledge which seeks to understand how racism uh, is a form of institutional power which perpetuates racial disparities in economic status, social status, etc. And it does, and and racism is understood as a structural, as both structural and interpersonal components. So that these systems and structures are what produce and perpetuate racial disparities, not just individual animus, like individual racial hatred. It's much more than that. It's about ideas to ideologies to like whiteness, white supremacy. Um, these are ways in which the white ruling class marginalizes uh, people of color. That would be the, 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 the study, the critical race theory would be concerned with understanding that dynamic. And is any, do, do you typically, would you say, yeah, some of that has a point to it and some of it is true, and then, but there are some parts maybe that you would say are false and unbiblical. How do, how do you cash that out when you hear that definition or describe it in that way? Yeah, I, w- I would say that, again, because it's rooted in this ideology that has these the, the deep the assumptions being made to say things like that are wrong. So they might get some truths right, but, the, but because their whole lens is you know, muddy, like if you're looking at that pair of glasses, you know, the, the, their, their glasses are broken and fractured and covered in mud. And so they might get a, you know, a little bit of light here and there that, that's right, they, they get something right, but because they're seeing everything through these lenses, they're getting a lot wrong. And more than that, even if the things they're getting right, they're being filtered through their wrong assumptions. So a good example would be this. A classic claim of critical race theory, literally it's one of the tenets, is that racism is part of normal life in America. That racism has basically never changed, it's just evolved. So they would argue that America today is a white supremacist, racist nation, as it's always been. Now what I would say is, no, we 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 are we there are there's still lots of races in the U.S. There is, there is injustice. There is right, but we are not objectively anywhere near as racist as we were 200 years ago. Right? We just we're just not by any measure. Period. Now, now why do they say that though? It's because they've redefined the word racism. It no longer refers to personal sinful racial hatred. It refers to these structures which perpetuate racial disparities. And I keep pointing out over and over again that when you define racism in that way, it includes all kinds of things, like, for example, I keep pointing this out, if you define racism as anything which perpetuates racial disparities, that's your definition. People are like, yeah, yeah, it's racism. Well, I would say, what about marriage? Marriage perpetuates racial disparities. Why? Because in general, on average, whites marry whites, Blacks marry blacks in Hispanic on average, and because whites are usually on average have more wealth than blacks, inheritance will then perpetuate the racial wealth disparity. Does that mean marriage is racist? Of course not. But again, people but people don't people don't think about the logical implications of how these terms are being defined. They just sound good. And so there are all these examples of how critical theorists and critical race theorists, queer theorists have redefined terms in ways that I think if you step back and just think about them carefully, they're really not just nonsensical, but they're dangerous. And of course, and of course you do have people that are actively arguing for dismantling things like marriage and things like, and there are other examples within uh, policy, but they would say if a policy produces disparity, it is it has to go, it's unjust. And I would say, no, some just policies produce disparity. They just do. I mean, a, a silly example, but you know, 
if I murder someone, I go to jail and I'm poor in jail, right? That creates disparity. Does that mean I should get rid of homicide laws? No, of course not, right? So you can't just say it produces disparity, therefore it's unjust. That's not biblical at all. Um, it's not just it's not re- it's not based on reality at all. So we have to be just more, uh, so I'm not saying that injustice doesn't exist. It does exist, but not all disparities are a result of injustice. Yeah, and that uh, that assumption that leap is part and parcel of critical race theory and you oh, know, feminism and certain that if there is disparity, therefore necessarily there is injustice driving that I mean, disparity. It, it is the Kendi. only or primary factor. Oh yeah, no, Ibram Kendi. Ibram Kendi in his book Stamped from the Beginning and in his book How to Be Anti-Racist, he says that if you think that racial disparities are the result of anything except for racism, you're a racist. Anything. So, no, 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 again, you're like, has he talked to people like, like anyone outside of the circle? Because think about it. There are racial disparities between Asian Americans and whites. Yes, there are. There are. He's claiming that if you think there's any reason for that except for racism, then that's racist. But that, that makes no sense. No one thinks that there is pro-Asian racism or anti-white racism that's leading to those disparities. That, that's, that's craziness. But he, he, never, he never interacts with that discussion. He never explains why that's different. He, doesn't, he, just, he leaves it untouched. And people have pointed this out to him. I've seen Coleman Hughes has an article pointing out that, yeah, Asians have lots of money in the U.S. on average, of course. But, but no one thinks that's racism at work. Or that you're you're a racist to think it's not racism. <laughs> so the point is just that again, I think that I, I'm not denying for a second that racism exists. I'm not denying that that some disparities are the result of either active racism in the present or they are legacies of racism in the past. Both are true. However, what I'm saying is it's not all racism by definition. That's what Kendi says, and he's wrong. Right, and so. You know, someone might be thinking that's Kindy, you know, the secular world. And, you know, that that's, of course, being utilized in all kind of political directions, but that it doesn't really impact the church. Surely no one in the church would think that. Now, oddly enough, the the article we read, I saw in the article about halfway through that he said he was a professor at a Christian college. So I was like, huh, you know, I, I thought that now this is odd. Um, and then I looked at the top and saw that he was actually at Wheaton. Yeah. And I found that to be really odd. And, you know, it, it, and he's seems to be, like you said, promoting CRT in a positive light and maybe even the full fledged version like uh, Kindy's. I don't know. We don't know for sure. But are there people in the Christian world that are promoting critical race theory in the evangelical world that are promoting it in, in the ways that would entail some of the dangerous parts of it, of full fledged CRT that are unbiblical? Um, are they typically just trying to kind of thread the needle and only use the tools? Like, do, is it something we need to be really concerned about in the evangelical world? You think? Yeah, no, we definitely do. And again, the, the um, Cartagena, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Cartagena, the guy, the guy from Wheaton who wrote the article, I, I don't, I don't see anything in the article that I just leaped out at me as like, Oh, this is obviously, I mean, and you too, you read it too. We're like, Oh my gosh, he's clearly affirming like all these unbiblical things. We, we don't know. He seems to think CRT is 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 helpful and not so bad. Uh, it seems that way. It seems that he, he thinks anti-racism, however he defines it, is not so bad. But we don't know exactly what he's affirming. It could be nothing harmful at all. I don't know. But there are absolutely people who are professing evangelicals who are affirming these ideas. And uh, they, the most, and I've given examples on my website, lots and lots of them. But the most recent one was a book that I just read called Can White People Be Saved? 
which was published by InterVarsity Press, which is an explicitly evangelical printing house. I mean, this is on their <laughs> website. And it was it grew out of a, um, a a forum at Fuller Seminary, which is an expressly evangelical seminary. So you have an evangelical publisher publishing this book, produced by with the under the auspices of an evangelical seminary, and that book is just so not it's not all bad. It's an anthology, so there are like a few essays that are probably fine, but so many of them were just so deeply bad and so troubling. The, and, and and more than that, like it's undeniably critical race theory. If you look at just the, they say, I mean, they say, they say here's the, in the introduction, the essays in this volume deftly deploy cutting edge theory in racial and ethnic studies and draw on critical theorists who advocate for analyses of racism that explore how other communities of color experience the effects of racialization. So they are saying this is critical theory. They cite writers and activists like Joseph Barnt, Carol Anderson, Edward Arbenia Silva, Charles Mills, Beverly Tatum, Nell Irving Painter, David Rodinger, and, and a bunch of others, who if you've, if you've read the literature, these are people doing critical race theory. There's, there's not deny it. I mean, you can't deny it. They, they will say, like, David Rodinger is one of, like, people who created the discipline of, of whiteness studies, critical whiteness studies. He's, like, one of the founders. So this is critical race theory. And then how do they use it? Uh all kinds of bad ways. So, for example, we talked about how critical race theorists will redefine common terms. In the book, the authors redefine the phrase white people. So the title says, can whites, can, can white people be saved? And they say, well, when we mean, when we say white people, we don't mean people who are whites have white skin. Of course, they can be saved. You're like, well, wait a minute. What? You just asked, can white people be saved? They say, they say this. Well, when we say white people, we maintain this whiteness project signified by our use of the phrase white people in the title, that cannot be saved. So they redefine white people to mean the whiteness project. Like, wait, what? You, it's not what whiteness, white, you don't go like, when I say, is that guy white? You're like, yes, he is part of the whiteness project. What, what does that even mean? Like, it's just, they, they've redefined this term. Another author says, he says, whiteness is a way of being in the world. To speak of whiteness is not to speak of a particular people, but people caught up in a deformed building project aimed at bringing the world to its full maturity. I want to save us from becoming or being white people. So again, he's redefining white people to mean a way of being in the world that is somehow sinful. And you're like, and I, he does that because he wants to have the, you know, the, the force and, and the leverage of being able to say whiteness is sinful. Oh, oh but I'm not saying white skin. I'm saying this, ideology of whiteness like that's that's illegitimate you can't define words to mean whatever you want if i say i'm going to define you know asianness to mean you know being evil i don't mean asian people i mean asianness you can't do that and so there are all these examples of people redefining terms um they're, they're example oh man there's just so much in this book that are just thoroughly dangerous and bad theology philosophy language uh, it's hard, hard to know where to begin, but yeah, it's it's. But the point is, read the book. I read my review. Read the book. It's unreal, and this is not happening in some remote fringe corner of the world. This is happening at Fuller and being published by InterVarsity. Man, yeah, that's that's that is a bit disheartening and, and troubling for sure. What do you, you know, what, what what do you recommend to 
lay folks that are just kind of this stuff probably sounds like a foreign language to them and and the temptation would be just like i don't even care to hear that and just disengage from the entire dialogue how how do you recommend lay people handle this and and maybe even pastors you know they don't have time to read all these primary sources and dive into this and if if they do say something and they don't have the right um intersectional qualities it's going to be interpreted you know like hey there here's these racist white supremacists who are perpetuating you know the status quo like they've always done in american oh yeah how do how do how do we even begin to deal with this i mean i've been encouraged that when i've just explained in simple straightforward english what these terms mean and why they're and what these ideas mean and why they're dangerous their reaction has been overwhelmingly positive from evangelicals on both sides uh, on both sides but there are many people who had been buying into these ideas who once they figured out what they actually meant and what the implications were rejected them and said no this is completely this is not right at all but oftentimes they got sucked into these ideas because they sounded good. That you know, being anti-racism sounds good. And I, mean, I hope we're all anti-racism in the traditional sense. But only later did they realize that anti-racism was not being defined the way that they might have thought it was defined. Um, you know, it's like saying it's like saying I'm pro-equality or I'm pro I'm 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 for freedom of choice or I'm for reproductive health. Well, yeah, I'm for all of those things if I define them normally. But if I if I understand how they're being used in actual and redefined by activists, I realize no man, all those things are actually defined the way they do. They're actually bad things. So in the same way, what I what I would always tell people, I always tell them, be charitable. There, there is no reason that you ought to um, that you ought to say someone is teaching falsehood or being unbiblical unless you can point to a statement they make. And point to a Bible verse and say, this contradicts that, period, right? And, and, and you have to be able to do that. So you shouldn't just be speculating and saying, this sounds like, sounds like critical race theory. Well, you know, I, maybe it does, maybe, maybe it is, but you should still be able to say this statement they made is false and here's the verse to prove it. Um, and I think that, and this is the weird thing, there are so many examples of major figures saying, totally unbiblical things like openly clearly false things we don't have to pick these like marginal cases like where you're not quite sure why why would you bother like why go after i mean i think an example that won't be controversial you know why who's definitely not you know i'll pick i'll pick like a funny one um you know let's say uh again i don't want to get in trouble here okay (laughs) let's say someone who's okay john MacArthur notoriously anti-social justice, right? If I heard John MacArthur use the phrase white privilege, do I, should I go after him as being a neo-Marxist? Probably not. I should probably say, what did he mean by that? There's no reason, okay. Why, but uh, people that are basically going after, not John MacArthur, but going after people that are kind of like, oh, I don't know, maybe when there are examples of like Jen Hatmaker out there that are just so off the reservation, if you want to show there's a problem, pick the people that are clearly off the reservation, and say, look, yeah. there's the problem. And there are people that, again, there's a spectrum. There are people out there that are way, way outside of orthodoxy. There are people that are on the fringes. There are people that are dead center, but are using poor language because they're not they're not just tuned into this issue. They don't know it any better. They're just using these terms that seem hip. Yeah. My recommendation is pick the examples that are the most clear so that people will admit there is a problem. 
once we can admit there is really a problem, then we can talk about, well, who, not who is the problem, but what exactly is the problem? That's a big step. I think, unfortunately, there are people on the social justice side of the issue who want to deny there's any problem at all. There's no problem. It's all in your heads. You know, it's all of this. You're threatened because of your white supremacy and your white privilege, whatever. And people have to be willing to admit there is a problem in Israel. It's not just a handful of people. People are always like, just name some names. Who's the problem? I'm like, number one, if I named names, people would call me a big meanie. Oh, you're being uncharitable. <laughs> you're being a heresy hunter. So if I don't name names, you can't accuse me of like picking on people and being uncharitable. But number two, here's the problem. If I name names, people are like, see, just like five or six people. I'm like, no, actually, one, I have lists of like dozens of people, right, that are making these problematic claims. But two, it's not the people, it's the ideas, right? If, if all the people that I think are, are, are going overboard on this stuff, if all of them stop teaching tomorrow, would that make the ideas less false? No, the ideas will be just as pernicious and just as bad. And so we have to warn people about the ideas and the people are basically secondary or irrelevant even to the ideas being shown to be false. Do you think, you know, because it, it seems like there's this core developing of actual scholars, Christians that are promoting this stuff, intentionally naming, you know, appealing to these authors that you mentioned yes. earlier. Do you think, though, by the time it hits lay people that it'll kind of be trendy for a while and then just kind of fizzle out? Um or, or do you do you think that it may have long? I mean, I guess you can't prognosticate on that. But do you get the sense that it would have a long term effect in a negative direction? If so, what do you think the negative long term would be for the church? I mean, it has been having a negative effect on the church for for years now. It's at least five to ten years. It's been influencing the church in various ways. And I think it's getting worse. And I don't think that as so. I think definitely that when it filters into the the lay person. It's detached from the name. So you don't hear, I mean, you do a little bit, but most people like, say, take Jenny Hamaker. I mean, picking on her, you know, because um, I'm a big meanie. But I, <laughs> I don't think if you ask Jen Hatmaker, like, well, who, you know, what authors do you, rec- what, what's, what's critical theory? She'd be like, what's, I don't know, what's critical theory? She may not even know what critical theory is. Do you ask her, what are some authors you've read? She, she may not name any critical theorists. I, I have no idea. So I don't think that you have to get these ideas from the authors. I mean, you go, if you log on to Twitter and follow a certain number of, I can tell you who to follow in a month, you'll be speaking the language of critical theory. You know, you know I can show you, like I give you a handful of accounts and they are, it's a steady stream of critical theory. And if you simply learn to imitate what they say and their ideas, you will be indoctrinated into critical theory, having never read anything but social media. So I think that that's why it's so important not to name people, but to name ideas and to show why those are unbiblical. Because I keep telling people, if you come out and say, we repudiate critical race theory, well, in a week, someone's going to call it critical social justice. Say, well, we repudiate critical social justice too. In a week, they'll call it critical equity, right? Or, or, or equitable or diversity and inclusion, right? Or so there are all these names for it. So the point is, that there's it's 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 useless it's an exercise in utility to keep figuring out what label to denunciate to denounce sorry to denounce instead we need to zero in on the ideas and show why they're false and god you know god willing people will begin to realize yeah i cannot believe this and christianity i have to pick one or the other mm. well that's really helpful man and i think you gave us some good you know tools as well not to lay the whole label on everybody 
to, to discern between people that, you know, they're in the center getting, you know, using the language. Maybe they don't fully understand. You got some fringe people, you got some people that are off the reservation, not lumping those all together, but being careful to look at um, the statements and understand the ideology and how it might be in conflict with the scripture. So thank you uh, so much, Neil, man, for, for helping us with this issue. Always very helpful, very in depth. And I just want to encourage our listeners go to his website, I'm on there all the time, keeping up on his uh, book reviews and uh, debates and uh, all the other new material he's putting up there. Really, really first-rate good stuff. And you guys are working on a book, right? Or, did you already finish the full – I know you all did it one for Ratio Christie. Are you, are you doing like a full book with somebody else? Yeah, me and Pat Sawyer. Uh, he has a PhD in cultural studies. So he has – you know, it's funny because he's – as far as I know, he's kind of the only evangelical who actually has a PhD in a relevant field, cultural studies, who's talking about critical theory. So the funny thing is people are always like, well, you don't have a PhD in a relevant field. You're only a theoretical chemist. And I'm like, well, okay, that's true. That's fair. Um, but my my collaborator actually has a PhD in a relevant field, and he, he and I agree on these issues. Um, and yeah, so we're hoping to write a full-length book on critical theory and what's good about it, what's bad about it. And, but I have no idea when we'll get to that. He's, he's a very busy man. He's a professor at UNCG. But we're working on that. And uh, in the meantime, yeah, check out my book reviews. And again, I try to really rely heavily on primary sources to quote them. My, my reviews are like, I don't know, 50% quotations, you think? I don't know. I just I try yeah. to make it minimal, as minimal commentary as I can because I want people to read what they actually wrote and, and see for themselves. I, it's not me interpreting these authors, it's what they're actually saying. Um, and I think, I, yeah, I, I encourage people too, if you have the inclination, pick up some of these books and read them because that'll give you some, uh, it'll give you a weight to your concerns. You don't have to rely on, well, Neil says, well, no, you can say, I've seen this and this is bad. Yeah, man. No, that's good. Good advice. And, and thank you for that. Yep. We'll check, check it out. And, uh, yeah, write into us with any questions, and I'm sure we can pass them along to Neil. And next time we have him on, we'll we'll try to hit him up. So thank you, Neil, and uh, praying for you guys, man, as you continue in the shelter in situation, uh, the the perpetual shelter in place for you guys that's been going on for five years now. You said, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, man, uh, appreciate you guys, appreciate y'all's ministry, and, and we'll be in touch with you again soon. Yeah, thank you so much, Seth.